Welcome to the Growth Equation Podcast. We're your hosts, Brad Stahlberg and Steve Magnus. Brad, what's going on, my man? Not so much. Uh, it's good to be with you. I'm here on time for our conversation about time management today. All right, man, look at that. And before we go into that, I just want to talk about another thing that has a finite time, which is your book that just came out, The Practice of Groundedness. We made a deliberate decision to push really hard for a month and then hopefully let that wave carry through. Well, we're ending. We're here at the end of the month. So if you haven't, this is the end of our big push. That means you should go buy it. You know, get on board. You're going to enjoy it. It's going to, you know, improve your life and everything that you do. I can speak firsthand from reading it. So check out the practice of groundedness, end of our big push, get on board, join the team, all that good stuff. If you've been price sensitive, currently marked down by over 40% on Amazon. If you're not price sensitive, get it from wherever you get your books. And uh, yeah, so with that, Let's dive into the conversation today, and we are going to talk about how we manage our time and if time management is even the right framework altogether. So I think three things led to this conversation. The first is there's a new book out by the writer Oliver Berkman called 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals. It's a very contrarian take to this whole topic. It's called 4,000 Weeks because that is the average lifespan of a human being. Most people hear that and they say, wait, only 4,000 weeks? Yep, that's all we get on average. If you're lucky, maybe 4,500 weeks. Second reason is in the back half of the practice of groundedness, there's some discussion on productivity versus productive activity in how we often confuse those two things, but they're very different. And then third is a conversation that we've been having with our friend Dave Epstein and uh, around being inefficient in the short term to be efficient in the long term. So it's a more complex story than simply be super productive and time block everything and, and take control of your time. And we want to delve into that nuance today. Yeah, thanks for setting that up. And I'd also argue that, you know, Brad, we have to struggle figure this out a lot because we both now have kind of the curse of freedom and time, which means our days are mostly controlled by ourselves and we get to set our own time schedules and productivity schedules and all that good stuff and what we're doing and when we're doing it. And we're juggling a bunch of different things from writing to recording these podcasts to newsletters to doing consulting and coaching and all of that stuff. But it's up to us to figure it out versus, um, you know, for instance, my wife, who is a, you know, works in an elementary school teacher whose day is kind of dictated and demanded down to the minute based on the school. So that's also why this topic is hugely important to us because we struggle with figuring it out as well. Yeah. 
All right. So I think that the first question to address is, should we even consider time management or should it simply be, how do you want to spend your energy while you're alive? Because time is just a freaking human concept. Like managing your time is the same thing as trying to manage your life. And much like a lot of other things, too much management, you get too rigid, the outcome is probably not good. Too little management, as you said, you get pure freedom. That can cause a lot of anxiety and, and existential distress. So I think the the first thing that I would say is, and Oliver Berkman makes this point pretty well in his book, 4,000 Weeks, and I happen to agree, is that, sure, in like the acute day-to-day, you can think of time management, but really the stakes are higher. This is about what are you going to do during your 4,000 weeks that you're alive? Yeah, that, that provides a little perspective. And I tend to think of it as what you do like reflects what you value, right? So often what occurs is when we get stuck in the kind of like time management mindset, we just do stuff to do stuff and what is present in our like what is right in front of us and present in that moment versus I think what you're getting at is this kind of zoomed out perspective of like whatever you're pursuing reflects who you are and who you will become. So be more intentional on and deliberate on not looking at time management just from a series of like, oh, this is the work I'm doing, but these are the things that I want to pursue. This is how I value them and the value I attribute to them. And, you know, get really clear on that before diving into the day-to-day minutiae of I need to block this amount of time for this thing or, or what have you. I, I also want to make sure that we don't just stay too meta. So, okay. So if we're not going to think about it as like, managing every minute of your life because that's impossible, but more so what are my core values? What are the actions that support them? What is currently giving my life meaning? What are my priorities? And that is what I want to devote my energy in this measure that we call time toward. So from that 30,000 foot view down to the 10,000 foot view, the strategy that I like most personally and that I find to be the most successful with my coaching clients is pretty rigid and rote compartmentalization in boundary setting. So what I mean by that is if you get really clear about your values and your priorities, you're probably not going to have that many and you're going to probably care about them all really deeply. And When you do, it often creates a temptation to be working on them all at the same time or when you're working on thing A to feel bad or guilty that you're not working on thing B. So rather than try to have all of these things kind of flowing together, I think it can be really helpful to compartmentalize and separate them. So a really concrete example from my own life, I think broadly speaking, professionally, I care deeply about two things. One is my writing and growth equation activities, and the other is my coaching practice. And 
I have to completely separate those. Otherwise, I'll resent coaching when I want to be writing, and I'll resent writing when I want to be coaching. So I only see coaching clients on Mondays and Fridays. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday are for writing-related activities. Then the other things that are really important in my life are my family, my dog and being outside with him, and physical activity. So there are also boundaries around those things. So I don't start coaching or writing really until about 10 a.m. Granted, I wake up early and do work, but like I make sure that I have time to do some physical practice, get outside with the dog, and then I try to shut things down most night by 7 p.m. So to me, that is kind of going from this 30,000-foot view of, okay, my values might be intellect, creativity, love, community, and health, down to these are the things, the activities, the practices that I'm going to do. But if I don't have those boundaries, I'm going to always feel like I'm giving too much in one or not enough in the other. And those boundaries make it easy for me to just show up and execute. It was the biggest, Steve, change that I made in the last year. This is with the help of my own coach was getting this rigid about it. Because at any given time, my coaching practice is around 15 to 20 clients. And there's such a difference in seeing those clients on Mondays and Fridays versus throughout the week. I can't tell you how much happier I am now with the compartmentalization because I just know Mondays and Fridays are coaching days. I get to show up fully prepared to coach, and that is what I'm going to do. And the other days, I get to show up fully prepared to write instead of having them blur into each other. Yeah, I really like that. And I actually operate in similar ways. And maybe this will help to you know see a similar philosophy and principles, but applied in a slightly different manner is I start with like, okay, we we have all these different or these several different values uh, or priorities you have. And I tend to start with the what's the most important one, you know, and for me, that's like family spending time, making sure I spend time with my wife, et cetera, et cetera. And because of her work schedule, as I said, working in um, a school, what that means is I protect my weekends a lot because that is really the time when we have time to spend, you know, spend quality time together. And I protect my evenings as well, because again, she'll get home at like five thirty, six o'clock. So like I protect that time so that we can spend time together not have to worry about work, not have to worry about other things. And that's where I start. And then from there, it's looking just at you, just like you said, that coaching and that kind of writing growth EQ book stuff in there. (laughs) What I look at really is when do I do my best work for each? And when it comes to writing, I do my best work in the morning and I wake up fairly early because of where I live get my exercise out of the way before it gets really hot most of the year, go for a run, whatever I'm going to do. And then I spend, you know, basically all morning, you know, on most days, except for when we record this podcast. Um, But that's like mid morning, mid afternoon normally is I spend all morning going into writing mode. And then in the afternoon, I schedule any sort of 
coaching or consulting work or even calls for like exploring stories is that is all in the afternoon because I feel like my creativity wanes a little bit. My ability to stay focused on the task like or stay focused on on a task like writing wanes a little bit and conversing and using this like different skill set um, is still highly functional and, and variable. And I think I think like figuring out some way to compartmentalize things is really important. And that really comes down to, you know, what are you protecting? Uh, when do you do your best work and then set things up? And I was talking to a really, you know, a good friend who uh, works in the psychology, you know, consulting world about like the importance of understanding your limits on whatever you're doing. And she pointed out, you know, quite astutely is like when you're, you know, coaching people, working through sports psychology or whatever have you, like you've got to figure out how many people or how much mental energy you have during each period of time to devote to that. Because she's like, you know, if I see, you know, nine clients in a row, like that can get very, you know, exhausting and mentally draining. And I have that feeling at the end of the day of I don't want to talk to anybody. Well, that's a signal that you've you've pushed too far. No different than if you were working out really hard and you have this feeling of consistently being like, oh, I need to go to sleep really early and can't handle things. And like I'm just mentally and physically exhausted. That's the signal that you're pushing too far physically. So I think reading these signals and getting really clear on what we're capable of um, is important too. Yeah, this this really flows nicely into this notion of productivity versus productive activity. So in 1976, uh, Eric Fromm, who was a German Jew who fled the Nazi regime and moved to the U.S. in 1933, was this brilliant polymath. He was a sociologist, a psychologist, a humanistic philosopher. And in his book, To Have or To Be, which is, I think, one of his more dense intellectual books, but also one of his more revealing books, he coined this term productive activity which is when one's activity is a manifestation of their powers, when the person, their activity, and the result of their activity are one. And he said that preconditions for productive activity are concern or caring in concentration. And I think, Steve, what you're saying is even if you value coaching or doing therapy or writing or teaching to the utmost degree, once your bucket of ability to concentrate or like care deeply runs out because you've just expelled too much energy, even if it's a super meaningful thing that you care deeply about, it's no longer productive activity. And then what I argue in groundedness is that then it just shifts to productivity, which is just like doing stuff for the sake of doing stuff. So I think a huge shift in time management thinking is to stop thinking about productivity and to start thinking about productive activity. And this ladders all the way up to those core values that we started with. It goes back to stress plus rest equals growth, a concept that we talk about all the time at the growth equation, and protecting the ability to show supreme concern, these are Fromm's words, and concentration for the things that we care about. Yeah, I think that's a, you know, a beautiful way to put it. And I think, I think part of it is this. If we're talking about physical activity, 
we can quite clearly see when we make that switch, right? You can start to see where the workout is no longer leading to productive adaptation or stress. And it's just you going through the motions or trying to survive or what have you. And, you know, most of us are fairly accurate at at being able to say, you know what, it's time to call it a day. You know, I don't have this energy, willpower, like capacity to get anything more out of this. My performance is suffering. Like I just need to recover, come back at it the next day or the next day, whatever have you. But in, in intellectual or work pursuits, we don't have that. That signal gets a little distorted. It's not as clear, right? It's not as easy to say like, oh, man, like my mental focus and energy like isn't there. I need to move on, right? And I think getting clear and being able to read those signals is really important to uh, like understand where you are on this productive activity versus pro- productivity because often what happens is we we switch and we we start doing things that we feel like are productive but they're not really <laughs> and if we had if we were able to read that signal a little bit better we might just take a break or switch to something else or like you know understand where our capacity lies at this moment and understand that like we can only do this much in the day before calling it love it so i want to jump to another related topic which is for people that don't have the same degree of autonomy as a coach or a therapist or a writer or some other creative might have. So like, how do they apply these topics? And none of my coaching clients fall into the bucket right now, at least, of like full autonomy of their time and energy. Most of them are entrepreneurs or executives, and they feel like they hardly ever get their own time and energy. So Back to that idea of compartmentalization, something that is really helpful for these people is to block off just a few times a week where they can do deep focus, undistracted work. And they have to know what that work is going to be beforehand because otherwise it just turns into fighting whatever fire was the the one nearest to that period of work. Now, where I diverge from the thinking of like other productivity people is I don't make them pre-commit to doing a specific thing. I make them say they'll do one of three things because you don't know what you're going to be in the mood for when Monday at 2 p.m. rolls around or Wednesday at 4 if you're scheduling this stuff in advance. To give someone total freedom, the risk of backsliding into, again, just putting out fires or going through emails is too high. But to say, I must work on this white paper or I must work on this pitch deck well, what if you don't have that kind of energy? So I think that where where I've seen this to be really effective is to have a list of the three things, and there's no nothing magic about three. It could be two, it could be five, but not too many things that are those productive activity type things, and then know that you're going to work on one of those in advance, but then in the moment, based on your energy level, have the flexibility and, and freedom to choose. And I'll tell you, the amount of meaning that executives and entrepreneurs derive from just two to three blocks of one to an hour and a half every week 
is so high. Like I have seen people right on the ledge of total burnout come back by doing nothing other than prioritizing a couple blocks of this kind of work. And it's not surprising, right? Most people start out as individual contributors or if you're an entrepreneur with this great idea, and then as the thing grows, more and more of your time becomes helping other people and reacting and taking some of that back to work on your core values uh, is really nourishing. Yeah, you know, it's like this, it becomes a self-fulfilling cycle because if you can block out time to do deep work, um, you get all that, like, it feels good, right? You get in this flow, you know, you're focused and your attention is on one thing, which normally it's sporadic. So it like reinforces that this is a good place, even though like it can be very difficult. And this reminds me of a conversation we had, I think it was last week or the week before on this podcast, in the sense, you know, as I always do, I'm going to take this to the athletic realm, which is often what works really well is having like structure with flexibility. So we talked about a couple of weeks ago, Brad, with your own lifting and your own working out. That sometimes it's not that you need so much structure that, hey, I'm going to I'm going to lift I'm going to, you know, lift this many reps at this percent of my max weight and have to go through this. Sometimes it's better to understand and know like, hey, today's a hard workout and I could do A, B and C, which are varied. Right. I could squat this or deadlift this or bench press this or whatever format I want to use out of them but like i have flexibility and have that choice and i think often where we go wrong in some of this time management is in this balance between freedom and structure like we take away all choice and then it feels like you're forced to do things and when you're forced to do things like you can't often get in that like deep flow state that feeling good so I think it's it's important. It's it's almost like you're striking that balance of giving yourself structure and boundaries and times to block out where you do deep work, but then you're giving yourself flexibility in that choice to say, "Hey, I'm actively choosing to work on, you know, X, Y, or Z during this time frame," which kind of reinforces the feel goodness of it and gets you better or allows you to, um, you know, establish that, that kind of, uh, good, healthy pattern over time. For sure. I think then the other thing that I wanted to, um, to, to, to bring up is at an organizational level, the problem is always trying to do too much. So very rarely do I come across a company or even like a division of a company that has one to three really clear priorities and goals for the year. They might say that they do, but then you peel back the onion and there's like at least 20 to 25 things they want to do. And um, that can make it really hard to get into this kind of productive activity zone because again, it requires supreme concentration and caring and if you've got a gazillion things, it's very, very hard to concentrate deeply or care deeply about any given one of them. So I think another part of time management is actually 
cutting down on the things that fill your time and really trying to focus on what actually matters. Um, I think that there's often like trying to get more efficient or trying to get more quote unquote productive so that you can do 12 things when it's impossible to do 12 things really well. What you actually need to do is not change anything about your approach, just cut back by nine the number of things you're trying to do. Yeah, I think we talked about this. I can't remember if it was peak performance or passion paradox where it's um, told the story of, I think it was my high school coach actually, who said like, you can do three things well at once. Like that was peak performance. Yeah, choose them wisely, you know? And, And I think, you know, whether you say that three, four, whatever, I think there's a lot of truth to like that ideal or that mental model because what often happens especially for very driven people is we you know try to take on everything or feel like we can take on everything and part of what makes that difficult or why that gets ingrained is because early on in our careers when we don't have maybe family like kids like we have all this time, like we have a lot of energy, et cetera. We can we we tend to like take on a lot of things and and handle them relatively well. And then as more things come on our plate from the outside, like we're 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 caught looking back and being like, oh man, I used to handle these 10 things at work and now I can only handle you know, two or three, and we see it as a negative and start thinking, how do we, how do I get back to where I can handle those 10 things without, again, seeing how your priorities change, how other values have shifted and stop trying to go back to like this early twenties world where you could do, do all these things and instead get very clear on like what matters now, what are the handful of things that like I really want to focus on and get those done instead of trying to do everything. Yep. And realizing that to get some of those things that really matter done, you sometimes have to be inefficient in the short term to be efficient in the long term because doing things well often requires like a fair amount of time and space around those things. And um, having those periods of true rest where you're not doing anything helps you do those few things well. Uh, this has been on my mind since um, since he joined our, our Patreon-only book club. So it's actually a good time to plug it. Um, we do have a Growth Equation Patreon. It's what allows us to keep this podcast completely free of annoying ads and sponsorships. For as little as $5 a month, you get all kinds of neat bonuses, including probably our most popular offering, which is every month we read a really interesting book, and then we have the author come join us for a live Q&A where it's not Steve and I asking the questions, but it's you all. So if you want to support the podcast and get in on this stuff, um, check us out on Patreon. It's in the show notes. It is also www.patreon.com backslash the growth equation. Okay. So, and two months ago, was it last month or two months? I think we had Kelly. Two months. Dave Epstein joined us. And he talked about this concept of being really inefficient in the short term to be efficient in the long term. And what he means by that is so often 
those one to three things that we're working on, as I was saying, they require like a fair amount of mind wandering and aimlessness and false starts and having the flexibility and the freedom to go right for a little while before you veer back left. And if you're hyper-focused on like time blocks and productivity, that looks like a terrible idea. But it's also what leads to the biggest breakthroughs in, in like meaningful endeavors in the long term. So I think that efficiency is really important, but I think it always needs to be attached to a time scale. Like what's efficient today might not be efficient over a year or, or two years. Yeah, and that really gets gets to the notion that I think we see nowadays, which is like you're over optimizing, over you know, trying you know trying to become too efficient in the short term, which often like leads to inefficiency over the long term, right? And <laughs> you know, I think of examples of. Um, you know, Charles Darwin is a great example. And I know you, you talked a little bit about the him in, in groundedness where you talk about the long haul. But like his days, if you look at it, are very inefficient if you were to say, oh, the call, the amount of work being done. But like what he allows for or what he allowed for is doing some deep work in the mornings and then like going on long walks, which you could argue is like not very efficient thing to do because you're quote unquote wasting time. But it's during those long walks, which often like ideas generate and creativity happens and occurs. And <laughs> over the long haul, like sorting through these difficult ideas on walks or runs or whatever you're doing, taking time, time off, you know, downtime is efficient. And I'd argue the same thing happens uh, when we write books, Brad, right? The quote unquote efficient thing to do is like, you know, write out your outline, like get it all clear, et cetera, et cetera. Focus on like nailing things. But often the best thing to do for a book over the long haul is give yourself enough time to like explore in other books, talking to other people, reading outside of your like narrow field of the book topic you're looking at, because often the best ideas come from that exploratory phase when you're not really looking for anything, right? So you have to keep that degree of like, well, I'm allowing myself time to be inefficient and not just hyper-focused on nailing this chapter, nailing this book, because you never know what stories are going to come come around or what insights are going to come around. So you got to keep some of that exploratory behavior so that, you know, over the long haul, your your book becomes better, greater, you know, more profound. Couldn't agree more. And these are all things that I think the conventional thinking on time management doesn't allow for. Uh, it prioritizes rote productivity over productive activity. It asks you to treat time like it's just this resource when in fact time is actually our life. And is Oliver Berkman, an upcoming book club for the Patreon group, 4,000 Weeks says, we only have 4,000 weeks to live. It's actually not very long. It's not a resource in the same way that, um, you know, 
your budget is. It's your freaking life. And this notion of being inefficient at times to be efficient. Um, so I think that's like our contrarian take on time management in a nutshell. And then once you've got that, well then, sure, compartmentalize, have some rigid boundaries, but you should know why and it can't just be about what. And you should also know on what time scale are you operating. Um, and even if your goal isn't to produce a masterwork, maybe you're going to be really inefficient for a year because you just want to enjoy nature. <laughs> maybe you just got married and like you're falling in love. Okay, well, guess what? Like, you know, time blocking your life. Nah, maybe you should just have some fun. Now, again, we stop at red lights, we go at green lights. So like in the day-to-day version of life, time is a thing. We can't totally release from it. It would be foolish not to. But remembering that it's just a concept and then using it to our advantage, I think, is, is, is helpful. Yeah, I think you summed it up really, really well there. And I think what we're wrestling with is this like this structure versus freedom idea. You know, and like you can shift where you are on that line. You know, from a day to day, you can have structure. From a zoomed out, you can have a little freedom. In certain periods of life, you can go like have all the freedom, and it's good, you know, to, as you said there, if you just got married and want to live life. Um, no different than an athlete would have certain periods of time where they're focused on developing different skills and certain periods of time when they're just like, you know what? I don't want to think about lifting a weight or going for a run or anything like that. I think that is often neglected in the the work world, except for like a, a one week vacation during the summer. Right. I think giving yourself that flexibility to move along that structure versus freedom line, you know, on a grand scale. And then within your day to day, you know, have variations of structure versus freedom and boundaries that create work is, is really important. So, you know, if you're interested again, in this kind of contrarian view, you'll probably enjoy our, our conversation with Oliver Berkman on our, growth equation patreon book club group so if this conversation strikes you come listen to one of the experts who's coming up in um shortly on our book club love it all right steve well this was a really fun conversation um we hope to have some uh some other good ones in the near future so we appreciate you guys please keep coming back uh go out and buy the practice of groundedness if you haven't Consider joining our Patreon community, uh, coming to these book clubs where we, we wrestle with these ideas with you all in real time. And um, otherwise, keep moving your body and eating real foods and being kind and, uh, and living this thing that we call life. I don't know why I feel so philosophical at the end of this. I think I need, I think I, I need to manage my time a little bit better, Steve. Oh, man. Always, Brad. Always. Love the philosophy. I've gone, I've, I've gone too far in the direction of freedom. You got to bring me back home with some intervals, coach. See, this is this is where our uh, our partnership works out really well is uh, we get to drag each other to the other side when someone's going too far to the extreme. So maybe the also the lesson on time management 
is have a significant other, a good friend, or a coach who can drag you, drag you back when you go too far. Yeah. And the last thing that I'll say there is also somebody that, um, that can help you when you're trying to change really difficult habits because relapse happens to all of us. And, uh, there was a good two month period where Steve was answering my emails. And as of about five days ago, that stopped. So, um, offline, I'm going to be working with Steve on, on his habit change. I feel like two months is a pretty good, that's a pretty good streak for me. That might be my best streak ever. So I think you should, you should just take that. Celebrate the victory, man. Celebrate the victory and be like, oh man, Steve is capable of, of answering emails. Look at that. Um, it's, it's, it's a win. Or maybe it could be, here's what I think it was. Um, your book launch extravaganza, like five calls a day, just disincentivized me from answering my emails because I'm just like, you know what? Brad's got probably going to call me in 15 minutes anyways. So I'll just ignore this and we'll talk about it. Nothing but love. Nothing but love. Thanks for listening to the Growth Equation podcast. Learn more about our work and find show notes at our website, www.thegrowtheq.com. Follow us on Twitter, at B. Stahlberg and at Steve Magnus. And if you like what you listen to, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, as this goes a long way in helping it reach others.